But this verse in uh, verse 18 of Colossians chapter 1, he says, speaking of Christ, he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And that word preeminent means supreme. He is supreme. And so we want to talk about Jesus being the center. And so we want to center, we want to focus on him, not just for 2021, but for how about today, January the 3rd, and then tomorrow, and the day after that. And if we keep doing that every day, this is going to be a radically different year. No matter what happens around us, it's what's happening in us that's so powerful. Okay? Uh, Now, a lot of us, as been mentioned this morning, have our list, do we not? And people do that with resolutions, to-do lists, and things like that. But uh, sometimes they look like they, um, make sure I got this on. Make, oh, well, there we are. Sometimes they look like this right here. Uh, so, you know, it's like, you know, hey, I've got my priorities straight. So here's what I want to do is I want to put Jesus first. Now, that verse said he's preeminent, right? means he's first. He's firstborn from the dead. He is in all things. Yeah. So I'm going to put Jesus, put God first, and then my family, and then work, and then, you know, on down we go. And that looks good, and that sounds good, but um, if we were to actually look at how much attention and how much time we spent in these different categories, what would it look like? I mean, we talk a good game, right? Uh, But if we think about where was my focus, what did I spend the most time thinking about, what got most of me last year? Was it Jesus? Because here's the problem, is that, I know we've said this before, Jesus doesn't just want to be first on your list. That's not what he's interested in. It goes a lot deeper than that. That sounds good, but if that is all we try to do, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to work. Um, you know, we have our list, our, our to-do, and you know what? I've got a stop-doing list, right? I mean, it's, it's important for me to have a to-do. There's some things I need to do. There's some things I need to quit doing. Uh, I, okay, I'm not the only one. Good, good. Uh, but here's what happens when we do this. A lot of times, it turns out like this. That it turns out to be Jesus, and this is not what God wants. It turns out to be Jesus, and then we cross that off, okay? I spent some time with Jesus today. I got up and I read my Bible. I did my little version app devotion, which is good, and I prayed. And then I cross him off, and then I go to the rest of the things. And that's not what Jesus wants at all. He doesn't want to be that where we just kind of, okay, I check that box, and then we're done. Uh, let's see what's next. Hmm? What he wants is this. Is He wants it to be like this. It should be not Jesus then, but it needs to be Jesus in. <laughs> Jesus and Jesus in family. Jesus in my relationship with everyone else. Jesus in my career and everything that's involved there. And in every other thing that I do that is Jesus in. Because he doesn't just want to be first on your list. Here's what he wants to be. And that's why we started off with this thought. That he wants to be the center of it. He's not just first among many things, even though he is that. He is the center of everything. Is he your constant? Is he your solid rock foundation? Is he the center of everything that you're about? Instead, see, and the thing about it is, is if you profess to be a Christian, you may 
It may be that he's prominent in your life. But according to this verse, he doesn't want to just be prominent. He wants to be preeminent. There's a difference. That means he is the center of everything on your list. Now, I want to tell you something. God wants to do incredible things in every aspect of your life. Oh, that sounds so cheesy, doesn't it? Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to do incredible things in all of our lives. It's easy to say stuff like that. Um, but then sometimes I look at my life and I don't really see it happening. Um, but I know what the Word of God says. And according to what even we just read, I know this. He wants, God's will is this. What is God's will? God's will is he wants to deliver you. He wants to enable you. He wants to transform you. He wants to strengthen. He wants to mature. He wants to mobilize you in ways that you and I can't even imagine. God's willing to do this. We don't have to pray God do this. He's willing. The problem is you and I. The problem is us. That's the question. We're the variable in this equation because he's not going to violate the free will that he gave you. And if you and I want to live at the same level that we have always lived, then it's up to us. We just want God to somehow miraculously do this without us having any involvement. We can't do it on our own, and he's going to be the, 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 the strength and supply the power. But at some point, we have to respond. At some point, we've got to make choices. At some point, we've got to make decisions. At some point, we've got to take a step, just like when Jesus told the guy that had never walked to do something that he had never done. He said, get up. And the guy's legs were probably all shriveled up and deformed. And it wasn't, I think, until he started to get up and do something that he couldn't do that his legs changed and muscles came in there and grew on his leg and he stood, stood up and then Jesus said, get that mat up and take it out of here. There's some work to do, right? I think sometimes we want things like that theoretically to happen, but you know what? It's easier to just lay on our mat and imagine someone else doing it. <laughs> because once we get up and once what, something happens, now he's got work for us to do. But there's a part that he's counting on us to respond. God is willing. The question is, are we willing uh, if we want to experience that his excellence in our life, uh, we got to make up our mind. We've got to trust in him and rely on his power. But we have to make up our mind and be determined. And how about this word? Resolute. You know, we make resolutions. That means we need to be resolved. Resolute. Determined. On these things. Now, as we see God's story, stay with me here. As we, see God, as we see God's story unfold in the pages of Scripture, here's what we see. We see Christ at the center of everything. Even before it was announced in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned and broke our relationship with the perfect God, even before it was said by God that the seed of the woman would come and destroy the enemy, even before that, we find out later on as we get into Scripture, it is revealed to us that even before that, that Jesus was the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. That is, before creation, before Adam and Eve were created. He already knew all things, and He knew that we would need Him, and He knew that He loved us, and He already knew that He would have to pay the price for our sins on the cross. And that's the powerful thing about it. And you know what? This was always God's plan. As he created human beings differently than all the animals, he created us in his own image. 
breathing into us the breath of life, making us a living souls with mind, will, and emotion. Our Creator would not force a relationship on us. He didn't want us to operate on instinct or anything like that. He gave us mind, will, and emotion. And He desires us to come to Him of our own free choice. And we all know that all mankind chose rebellion over relationship. We've all sinned and became sinners before a holy and perfect God. But God, knowing all things from eternity, and God, loving us from all eternity, had already established a way for us to come back to Him. The good news. By the way, remember another word for good news is what? Gospel. Don't forget that that's what gospel means is good news. Because I've heard gospel coming from the mouths and from the lives of some people who, play, who profess to believe. And it didn't sound like very much good news. This is good news. Uh, the good news of this plan was gradually, as you go through this book, it was gradually revealed throughout the Old Testament. Uh, uh, and in the Old Testament, before you have good news, what do you have to have? Bad news. Because without bad news, good news isn't good news. It's just news. And so the reason why it's good news is because the bad news is our lostness and our sinfulness. And I'll tell you something else. Our total inability to do anything about it on our own. God gave the law. But in that law, he gave all of this grace with the sacrifices and the coverings for sin that had to be continually repeated. And they were all pointing to something that was permanent. All through the Old Testament was pointing to one who would come, to one who would be a deliverer and deliver us from more than just physical bondage, but deliver us from sin and that bondage and free us up to have a relationship with this perfect and holy God. And it was prophesied. But in the Old Testament, our sinfulness was exposed. I just finished reading through the books of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament. I just finished reading through that again. It's impossible. It's, there's times, I'm sorry, I, I hope this doesn't bother you, but there were times as I was reading through it, I thought, man, that's ridiculous. Some of that stuff. They were never able to do all that, but God was marking himself off as I am holy and you are not. <sighs> Paul, who was really into that kind of thing all of his young life and was actually a Pharisee, came to understand the truth. And it all came together for him, started coming together for him one day when he was on the road to Damascus when people called him Saul of Tarsus. And he encountered a deeper understanding of the truth. Not only did he have an, an encounter with Christ, but he, the Lord opened his eyes to all the scripture that he had memorized and had known all his life. And he began to understand how it all fit together. And then Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 verse 20. I'm not going to put these verses up there. I just want you to think about it. Write it down. In Romans 5 20 he tells us that the law came. The purpose of the law. It came to expose and, 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 and to increase our awareness of sin. But then he says, where sin increased, grace increased even more. Or grace abounded even more. And even though the Old Testament seems very harsh and very strange, I still want you to know that God's grace is seen through all of it. And we find out that all those rules, all those restrictions, and even all the feasts were actually shadows of Christ and were fulfilled by Him. If you're still open to Colossians, maybe you need to uh, turn one page over. 
I'm needing to lick my fingers to do that, but I've shook hands with some of you people, I think, even though, you know, we're supposed to be careful about that, and I don't want to, so I got it turned. Uh, but I didn't see anybody else. Did you turn? Okay, it's, maybe it's on the same page for you, but in Colossians chapter 2, and in verse 16, he says this. He says, uh, he's talking about all this stuff, and he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of, and he talks about some of those regulations and things that they had in the Old Testament. He says, in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Then he says in verse 17, these are shadow, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You guys are hung up on a shadow, and you're missing, missing what's casting the shadow. It was always all about Christ. It was always pointing us forward to him. So even in the Old Testament, they were under a different covenant. But it was said all the way through, someone is coming, someone is coming. God singled out Abraham and told him that through you, even though you're past the age where you would have a son, you're going to have a son. And through your seed coming after him, all nations are going to be blessed. God renewed that covenant and that commitment as time went on. And then as we get on through the passing of God giving the law, the passing of time, and he gave the law and the old covenant, Jeremiah even told us there's a new covenant coming, Jeremiah 31, 31, that God is going to make a new covenant. He's going to write it on our hearts. Yet even, as I said, with all the judgments and the difficult things in the Old Testament, you see God was dealing with mankind according to grace. And Paul points out, in, Galatians, in several places, in Galatians 3.11, he quotes Habakkuk, Old Testament, chapter 2, verse 4, that God's plan was always faith. He says, he quotes it from Habakkuk. He says, the just or the righteous ones will live by how? Faith. That is trusting in him. He also tells us in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, that when the fullness of time on the timeline on planet Earth came, that God sent forth his son. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, just like he said, under the law, and he fulfilled the law for us. He, he was the only one qualified to go to the cross and pay for our sins. And then when the birth of Christ came, and even as we celebrate every day, and especially this time of year, as the shepherds announced this, I mean, as this was announced by the angels to the shepherds, and it was announced to them about Christ being born, what did they say? They declared to the shepherds, the angels did, good news of great joy. For who? For all people. Good news. You've got good news. This is the gospel. So Christ, what I'm trying to say is beginning to end and throughout eternity, Christ has always, are you getting this, been the center of all of God's plan. The question is, is he the center of yours and mine? He's the center of the universe, center of God's plan. But is he the center of my life? So, this verse talks about how he is preeminent in all things. It talks about the preeminence of Christ. That he's not just the first thing. He's the center of all things. Is somebody getting this? Come on. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, he's the creator, we find out in this passage. He's not only the creator, he's the one that holds it all together. So he's the sustainer. We've never been able to fully understand how in the nucleus of an atom, you have these, what, protons and neutrons, right? 
You have these protons. And what kind of charge do we believe they have? Positive. And then, uh, and, and then these protons, and you have electrons outside, and that magnetic, that magnetic pull there causes them to orbit, kind of like, you know, our planets orbit around the sun, right? Same type of principle. You see the same design, both places in the, in the microscopic as in the telescopic, okay? But the thing about it is, is you have like uh, all of these protons possibly charged, packed together in the nucleus of that atom. What keeps the thing from flying apart? Because everything that's positively charged seems to repel each other. What keeps all that held together? How come we just don't have atomic, you know, stuff happening? It, it, we don't, we're not sure, we're not sure. But I can't tell you the science on it, but I can tell you the truth on it. He's the sustainer. Literally, what he's saying is that God is holding all things together. God is holding all things together. He is the sustainer, the redeemer. He paid the price to buy you and I out of bondage and out of slavery to sin. He is the deliverer. He delivers us. He is the beginning and the end. He's the alpha, the omega. He's the author. He's the finisher. He's the Lord over all and the Savior over all who will receive his salvation. He tells us in verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church. Church is like his body. He's the head of it. He conquered sin. He conquered our biggest enemy of all, death. Death comes because of sin. Jesus conquered every bit of that. He tells us in verse 18 that he is the firstborn from the dead. Now, let me just tell you, the Greek word translated there into our English is the Greek word prototokos. And literally, it does mean firstborn, but it means more than that. It means premier. It means above all else. The boss overall. It means supreme. Let me explain that. It can commonly mean first in birth order chronologically, but primarily, that word firstborn doesn't just indicate chronology. It indicates rank. Are you following? It indicates rank or position. In both Greek and Jewish culture, the firstborn son was the son who was highest in rank and who had the right of inheritance. He wasn't necessarily the first in the birth order, though. Right? I mean, look back in the Bible. Esau was technically born first, but who had the birthright? I know there's a lot of stuff went on there, but it was Jacob, right, who had the birthright. He was the firstborn. Jesus is the one who has the position. Jesus is the one who has the authority. Jesus is the one who has the right to inheritance of all of creation. He's the firstborn from the dead, the only one resurrected by his own power. Notice what God says of the Messiah. I'm going to quote Psalm. Uh, I'm actually not going to quote it because that sounds like I've got it memorized. And I really don't so much. Uh, but I'm going to read it because I've got it in my notes. All right. I'm just trying to be transparent here. Okay. Uh, in Psalm 89:27 says, God says this, speaking prophetically. He says, also I will make him my firstborn. And then he explains what that is. The highest of the kings of the earth. He calls him firstborn then defines that as the highest of the kings of the earth. Okay, so now you understand better what firstborn means. 
And just look at this prayer Paul has poured out here. We read a lot of it earlier in the, uh, before the message when we were in worship uh, and just doing the scripture reading. And he talks about how that we, um, he has delivered us, he says. We give thanks in verse 12 to the Father who qualified you. I'm not qualified. Are you qualified? On our own, we're not, but he qualifies us. Like the old preacher said, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called, amen? And that's a good thing. I always like that. But he qualified you, it says, um, to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. We are in the light. We're going to share in this inheritance that he has gotten for us. But notice, we weren't always in the light because he tells us in verse 13, he delivered us. So he has delivered us from, what does it say? Delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred or conveyed us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He delivered us and he transferred us into his kingdom. Listen, verse 13, I'm going to put that up there, okay? I think I am. <laughs> Here it comes. Ah, there it is. Delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. See, he doesn't want to just bring you out of stuff without bringing you into something. And a lot of times we just want God to get us out, get us out of whatever mess we're in, get us out of whatever fix we're in. But you don't go out unless you go in. What he wants to do is bring you into the kingdom of his beloved son. And if you're still wanting to be in your own kingdom and do your own thing, you just want God to get you out of something, I'm just telling you, that's not the way he's laid it out here. If you're going to let him bring you out, you've got to let him bring you in. And it's so awesome and so glorious. He doesn't just deliver us from, he delivers us to. I'm glad I could be delivered to because I could never be a part of that. It's not enough just to escape the darkness. I want to live in the kingdom of light. How about you? Our life feels, okay, how dark this world gets. We can live in the light. How did he do it? Well, he tells us in verse 14. He says, in whom we have redemption. Speaking of Jesus, we have redemption only in him. He's the only one that paid for our sins. He was the only one that was qualified. You're not going to have it any other way except through Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins. Because he couldn't just say, okay, sins are gone. I'm just going to ignore them because God is holy and God is just. They had to be paid for. And if we've said this so many times. This is the way it's laid out in Scripture. If someone owes you a large amount of money and you forgive that debt, you forgive it. What does that mean? That means you cover it yourself. Who's going to pay that? They're not paying it back. They can't pay it back. You do it yourself. It's redemption. He came and he paid our debt. So now God can forgive the repentant sinner who trusts in him. God can forgive you and say you're not guilty even though you were guilty. And he can still be true to his perfection and his justice and his holiness because the debt has been paid. By the only one qualified to do so, Jesus Christ. Our sins have got to be paid for because he's perfect and he's holy and he's just. The question is, are you going to pay for it yourself by being separated from him throughout all eternity? Or are you going to receive the payment that he already made on your behalf? And offers it as a gift. He just says, trust me. Follow me. 
This is amazing. So how he did this was, is he redeemed us. He paid the ransom required to deal with our sin. It required his death on the cross. It required his blood. That's why he came as fully human, yet fully God. Paul reminds us of that in verse 15. I don't know if I have verse 15 up there to tell you the truth. I can't remember. Do I? I do? Okay, I didn't mark it in my notes, so I forgot. There it is. I'm glad that I remembered to put that verse in there because in case you don't just look at it in your own Bible, you can see it. And I want you to hear it now because it says, He is the image of the invisible God. Talking about Jesus. The firstborn of all creation. Number one. He's over it all. And he goes on to tell us in verse 16 that all of these things, every he says, by him. One reason he's firstborn over all creation is by him all things were created. Not just on earth, but in the universe. That's what it means by in heaven or in earth. Uh, visible or invisible. All of it was created by him. He is the image. The Greek word is icon. We use that word in our day. We have icons that represent apps, and if you click on we don't click anymore, do we? We swipe and we just do whatever. Uh, yeah, but I just like to say it this way. You've heard me say it before. If you click on Jesus, he's telling us you get God. When you click on Jesus, you don't just get some prophet. You just don't get somebody who actually lived and taught and did things. You get God himself. He is the image of the invisible. He's a physical. While he was here, he was the visible image of the invisible God in his likeness. He's the exact expression of his image. And so whether you realize it or not, he's the center of all things. Whether you want to recognize it in your life, you can say, no, I don't believe in it. You can say, no, I'm the center of my own universe. No. And see, that's the thing is there's so many people that don't believe. And yet there's something in them that makes them, at least some, not everybody, right? Not everybody, but at least some of them, it makes them kind of want to be nice to people at times. And we go through the holidays and there's just that warm, fuzzy feeling that, that we get when people are giving and sacrificing and helping others, right? And if, it's, if there's no God, if we just are just an accident, if we were just some highly developed form of animal, if, the, if it is the laws of evolution, which involves natural selection and survival of the fittest, why are we helping each other? There would be nothing in our instinct unless it benefited us back to do that if you're just going on basic humanism. But yet, even those who profess to believe that, there's something that draws them. There's something that they feel. I've seen it, haven't you? Maybe some of you remember a time in your life when you felt that. There's just something. You know there's more. You know there's more purpose than us just existing and that's it. You know that it's more than just survival of the fittest, natural selection. You know it's more than that. You know there's a greater something out there. I'm telling you who it is. It's Christ. He created. He created. And he created us in this way. Uh, and he's the image of the invisible God. But even if you don't realize it, even if you don't recognize it, even if you don't want to believe it, hey, some things are true whether you believe them or not. He's still the center of all things. So do you want to get in on this or not? He's the creator. He's telling us here that it all belongs to him. It not only all belongs, all creation belongs to him. He's the one who sustains it. You can spend all your life, I'm telling you, ignoring God. You can run from him, doubting him, trying to logically uh, cross him off. You can spend all your life trying to reason him away, only to have to stand before him at the end of your life. You can't run from him. You can't run from him. 
So since he is this, since he is preeminent, I need to make him the center of my life. If I'm going to be a believer, if I'm going to be a Christ follower, if I'm going to be a disciple, if I'm going to be a Christian, he needs to be the center. It's not this congregation, this church like being the center. It's the church, the body of Christ. It's Christ the head. It's about him. And we have meaning because of him. And we're a part of each other, whether we like it or not. Right? What if your right arm got jealous of because you're right hand? Oh, what if because maybe you're left-handed, your right arm gets jealous of your left arm because it gets to do more stuff? Right? Or what if yeah, what if you're left-handed and your left hand is jealous of your right hand because remember back when we all shook hands with each other all the time? Which we kind of do a lot of that right here anyway. But you know, your right hand's always the hand we shake hands with. We're all part of the same body. Well, my left hand. My left arm hurts, right? My whole body hurts. When I'm struggling in one way, in one area, it hurts everything, right? If your left arm hurts, it, ask Jane Kinzer. <laughs> it hurts your whole body. And she fell and broke her arm, bless her heart. And my mom broke hers in almost the same place when she fell. Uh, and so uh, you know, the thing about it is we're all part of each other. In Christ. So if he's going to be the center of my life, that means this. Are you ready for it? That means he's got to be the center of my relationships. So I will need the Lord. If Christ is going to be, if I'm going to love like Jesus, if I'm going to love like Christ, he's got to be the center of it. Because I can't love like him without him. And the thing about it is, is um, everyone that you know has tremendous potential to be a pain and ruin your day. Because we're going to need the love of Jesus. He's going to have to be the center of our relationships or we can't put up with each other. And the thing about it is, is him being the center of my relationship is not about how close I can get with you. It's about how close I can help you get to him. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that? You're just worried about how close you can be with someone that you care about. But the real depth of having Christ at the center of that relationship isn't just about how close you get to them, but how close you help them get to Jesus and how how close they help you get to Jesus. And if we're all getting closer to Jesus, we've got to all be closer to each other automatically. So I have to ask the question, what is the vision of my relationships? Is Christ the center of them? So we talk about on our list, you know, Jesus and then family and relationships, that he wants to be the center of all of this. And, and so what's my vision of that? What is, what is my vision of that? Whether it's marriage, of husbands, like loving your wife. We have the biggest, toughest command to love our wives like Christ loves the church. None of us are there, guys. Whether it's, it's husband, wife, whether it's your children, whether it's your parents, your friends. How about your dating relationship? If you're out there and you're dating, uh, it, it, I mean, is Christ the center? Are you, are you, do you care more about that person getting closer to Christ or just closer to you? I mean, this is what we're talking about here, about him being that. We need to become more interested in loving and serving like Jesus than we are interested in just having our own needs met. And let's just be honest, that selfish, humanistic part of us just wants our needs met, that I like you and I have a great time around you because you make me feel good about myself. That's the way a lot of it works. But this is a whole different level. This is no matter what you do, I want to be 
getting strength from God to help build into your life. That's how the gospel is going to spread, folks. That's how people are going to be reached. That's how this nation, this world is going to be changed as we do that one-on-one. When we love people who don't deserve to be loved. When we help people who don't deserve to be helped. When we become that change agent that touches other lives and they didn't know the light. They're in darkness, but they come in contact to the light. Not because they walk into this building, but because they know you. We need to be giving, affirming, sometimes confronting. Then we got our job. So this means Christ is going to be the center of my career. And a lot of times we don't want it to be, but it just takes up the most time because we've got to make a living, right? Got to make a living. Yet um, the thing I find out is that this verse right here is tough because a lot of, it says that the majority of Americans aren't really happy with their career or their job. We do it because we have to. But yet in Colossians 3.23, he tells us just a little bit later in the same letter, whatever you do, work at it. So there's some work that needs to come out of us. Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not men. So whatever you do, I've got to have the right attitude. I've got to have the right perspective about it. Am I just working to make a living? Am I working just to please my boss? Am I working just because, or you work just because your wife says you got to have a job? <clears throat> are you working just to please people, or are you working to please yourself, or are you pleasing God? That's what he says, as working for the Lord. And there were times, not here, I mean, I wasn't always a pastor. There was a time I worked in retail and some other things, and, you know, there's times, but, you know, um, <clears throat> you ever just, like, feel not appreciated? This never happens when you're a pastor, by the way. Wink, wink. You just feel unappreciated like no one. You do all this and someone else takes credit for it. That ever happened? You ever do that, take credit for something that somebody, no, anyway. Um, I try to be careful about that because I'm just going to say publicly today that a lot of the great things that are done in this congregation, this community of believers, isn't because of me. It's because of a lot of you. And, and there's a lot of times people think that I'm a better pastor than what I am because of you guys. Okay, I needed to confess that. I mean, I, I recognize that, but um, I'm blessed because of you. But the thing about it is, is, is that um, when you're not appreciated, when you're underpaid, when times are tough, well, you just don't like the daily grind. Am I working for myself? Am I just doing it for my family? Or am I seeing myself as working for the Lord? Is there an, listen, listen, listen. Is there an eternal dynamic to what I'm doing? Is there something more? Because if I'm working to please God and not people, I realize, I heard Adrian Rogers say years ago, if you please God, it doesn't matter whom you displease. Amen? That's tough because we kind of want to please people. But then he also said, and if you don't please God, then it doesn't matter who else you do please. That is true. And so that Jesus said that he came not to just give us life, but did he not say to give us life more abundantly? Right here it is in John chapter 10, verse 10, that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And what that means is, is that that means life to the full. So why is it that we dislike our job? Why is it we're so unhappy with life? Because maybe we're off center. I mean, you're being good at work, you're working hard, but something's off center. And I'll tell you what's off center, it's you, and you're not centered on Christ, and he's not centered in you. It adds a whole new dynamic. And, and so even though I don't have a lot that other people have, and even though, you know, times may be tough, and we're going through uh, shutdowns and things like that, do I thank God for what I do have? 
Do I enjoy what he's already given me? Do I have an attitude that maybe in wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, that God wants to impact others through my life somehow? Because I've seen, even when I was working in different things, uh, people who profess to be great Christians, but man, I'm telling you, they get down and dirty at work. I mean, it was about me proving my point and I'm right, or you this or that. And, and, and it's somebody that they would, would, we'd have like a little Bible study. They would pray for so-and-so that works over in that department. And then you would watch them just be mean and nasty to them later because they're not pulling the, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you got to be responsible. you got to have leadership and you got to do what you got to do. But I'm saying they're being underhanded and dirty. And so, maybe you need to pray for you to be a better witness to them. You see what I'm saying? There's a whole different dynamic here when we're asking Christ to be the center of these things. And do I view my work, whatever it is, as also part of the ministry God has for my life? Uh, people I come in contact with. Uh, there are a lot of times we blow it. Yeah, but, but I just want to have Christ at the center. So here's the thing is that how you view this is how it's going to make all the difference. It's going to make all the difference in your life, how you view all of a sudden my work that is not a job that I want. It's just so boring or it's just tough or whatever it is that now I've got a little different perspective on it. I'm viewing it. And my per- listen, my perspective will affect my performance. If I'm just, yeah, if I'm just doing it for me and for just because i got to do it, it's one thing. But if I'm working for God, it's another thing. So i got to display grace and honesty and faithfulness. Great work honors God, and it impacts other people. All right, so maybe you don't have a career. Maybe you don't even have family. Maybe you lost a lot this year. Maybe uh, our area maybe hasn't been impacted so much. I mean, even during the recession back over 10 years ago, uh, it didn't impact us like it did some because we, we already recessed, right? You know, we're already not in great shape in that way. But, uh, but maybe there's some I'm talking to that you have lost a lot because of just out of your control what's going on with this pandemic and all that. Um, maybe a lot of the things that have happened in your life, maybe not your choice, other people have done to you, it's knocked you off center. It's knocked you off center a little bit. I want you to remember that verse 17. I'm going to back up to it about Jesus. It says, and Colossians 1, 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is in the middle of all things. You may feel like your life, you may feel like all things are falling apart, but I want to tell you he's the only one that can hold it together. It's him. Without him, it might fall apart. But with him, he holds the universe together. I think he can hold you and me together. So here's the question we're going to finish up with. How to keep Christ in the center. How do I do this? When things aren't going well. I mean, when things aren't going well, when things start falling apart, when things start getting out of control, how can I then keep Christ in the center? Well, first, we got to grow in the faith to the point that I can say i got to keep growing in my trust, in my daily walk with him, in my relationship with him, that I can say that though I don't understand what is happening, I don't understand why it's happening, I can still at the same time acknowledge that I can't control it and I can trust that he is there and that he is greater than those circumstances and that he is ultimately in control. That I can believe that and I can hang on to that when everything else is falling apart. And this is not only going to involve time and prayer and study and connecting with the body of Christ. I need to be connected to other believers. I don't have very many of the spiritual gifts. I need what God wants to do in my life through you. There's things I'm praying for that I need to happen in my life that he's choosing to do it through other members of the body. 
And if I isolate myself from you, I'm going to miss out on a lot of what God wants to do in my life and miss out on what I have an opportunity to do in other people's lives. And it's amazing together we can do a whole lot more than we could ever do apart. I'm amazed this year as, 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 even, as even our tithes and offerings and our giving is way beyond what it was in 19. And, and part of that is because what's happening here is not just here. Is that because we worship and because we give here, we're, God's using that all around the world to spread the gospel, to help feed hungry people, to drill wells where they don't have water, all because we're just worshiping God right here. And he uses that. He blesses that. We all can do so much more together than any of us could do apart. It's amazing what God will do when we just give him our basket like the little boy with the bread and the fish. Remember? Involves prayer, study of scripture, staying connected. Remember, God is viewing things in the backdrop of eternity. Lord, I can't imagine why you let this happen right now. But all I see is right now. All I see is what I know in time. God sees forever. And I know he sees more than I see. And he's able to take that which seems to be a total disaster in my life. He's able to take what seems to be hopelessness in my life. And I know that he can bring forth out of hopelessness and out of disaster, he can bring forth something that will give him glory and Shower me with blessings. I know he does that. Be resolute. Read that. Don't, force, don't forfeit your payoff because you faint in the process. Don't quit too soon. Don't stop now. And here's one more as we close. Act on what you know to be true from the word of God, not on what you feel i got to act on what I know, what I believe, not on what I feel. Because feelings, they turn on me all the time. Christ is the middle, middle of everything. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. And may we begin to see our circumstances from a totally different perspective. His purposes are far above what we can understand. God, help us. Lord, I just want to pray right now. Help us to not just put you first, but to make you the center of everything in our lives. Help us to identify the areas where we're keeping you shut out. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.